Welcome to the Sober by Design podcast, where we explore the many pathways to recovery and a better life through conversations with a wide array of guests. Whether you're sober curious, in recovery, or simply looking to improve your mental health and well-being, this podcast will have something for you. Each week, we sit down with inspiring guests from all walks of life who share their personal stories of struggle and triumph, offering valuable insights and practical advice on how to design a life worth living. From addiction and mental health to spirituality and creativity, we cover a wide range of topics that are relevant to anyone seeking to live a more fulfilling and authentic life. So join us on this journey of discovery, growth, and transformation, and start designing a new life. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sober by Design podcast. Tonight, I have a great guest, James Clemens. James is a podcaster and owns a very interesting business, uh, Freedom from Anger, and that is also the name of his podcast. So I want to welcome James and let him introduce himself and give us a little bit of his background. Well, thank you for having me, and I'm uh, privileged to be on your podcast. Uh, I do run a business, which is... uh, Freedom from anger. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> oh. but uh, yeah, we 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 try to um, help people who are dealing with issues that are uh, would it be anger, would it be addiction, would it be any of the behavioral health issues, and that that's where where we're trying to get to so when you when you were coming up as a you know younger person where did you grow up did you i know you live in tennessee now did you live in tennessee growing up same area or was it different for you yeah i grew up in tennessee um uh born and raised um uh, the only time I exited Tennessee was when I joined the military. I joined the Marine Corps, uh, so I was shipped off to South Carolina. <laughs> uh, so I did that for a time and um, spent time in Japan, California, you know, kind of you name it. Um, back and forth. Uh, but when I came back to uh, Tennessee, I just felt this need to try to help people rather than, you know, um, destructing people. <laughs> That's kind of my, uh, my MO in uh, the military was to uh, do bad things so um so when i came back that was kind of my idea of uh, finishing my college and trying to uh, do do right and and how long were you a couple questions about the military for you you were in the marines you were obviously deployed overseas was that sort of the path that you saw yourself going down um as a young person or did that sort of come up 
you know, as you hit 18, you got out of high school, like, was this a plan or did this kind of come on you as sort of life progressed? Well, actually, like my dad was Marine. Uh, So he pretty much told me at a young age, you're either going to do one or two things. You're going to uh, go in the military or you're going to go to college. Mm -hmm. And I chose the latter. Um, And I said, did a little bit bit of both. Um, But uh, it was definitely, um, I was actually in my 20s when I went in the military, so I was an old guy. Okay. <laughs> so you took a little break, then in the went military, in. So, yeah. So. So it sounds like maybe yeah. was it? I mean, so you were. I've been mean, looking back now. I guess my question is, you know, your dad wanted you to go, and obviously, I read into the freedom from anger type of thing. Like, did you want to go to the military or was there some other idea that you had at that point in life that would have been more suitable to you as a 20-year-old person? No, I was, you know, at 20, I was lost. I was just just going with, uh, you know, whatever you know, things happened to me and then... I just kind of decided that, okay, well, okay, you're lost. Um, you know, your dad's telling you, hey, you know, join the military. <laughs> and then I had a buddy that joined like a year before I did. And then he came back. And then, of course, this was around you know, 9 11. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, being a patriot was huge, so I was like, "All right, you know, if it, this is what I'm going to do, and then we'll just figure out what happens." <laughs> yeah, from there. Yeah, I had so I had a couple folks uh, that I was close with that that kind of joined the Marines at that same point, like right around nine eleven. You know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Six, nine months after, you know, all in that, you know, early 20s time frame. And they all kind of went over to, you know, support that effort. It was a different time, I think, for sure, in this country. And, you know, I think everybody was a little bit, um, you know, willing to help, you know. And, um, you know, it's if you didn't live through it at that point, I don't think that you can understand it fully. So, you know, and, and it is the anniversary is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, so you obviously were in the military. You, you started a little bit later in there. You have recovered from alcohol use. Were you drinking prior to going into the Marines during after? Like, when did that issue really arise for you? Oh, I was I was awesome at drinking. <laughs> Uh, that was kind of my uh, uh, forte in, in prior to going into the Marines. And then once you get in the Marines, you're like, hey, this is this is college on steroids. Mm-hmm. And you can drink even more and have a 
awesome time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was off the rails. Um, I mean, uh, I think when it, for me personally, when it really went off the rails was, uh, 2007 mother's day my mom passed away okay and then i had a year left in my um um, uh, service and um i used that as an excuse to just you know just um just be reckless yeah um I'm amazed and I'm thankful for the people that were around me at that time because I could have been court-martialed. I could have been, <laughs> you know, uh, but they knew what I was going through and they, they let me slide until I got my out date. And then I got out and then I continued the, the pattern. Yeah. <clears throat> did it get worse after being yeah. in the military? Like, was that like a, was the, I guess, the, the, I don't know, sort of being in that atmosphere, did it make it harder and you drank more or was it just kind of a path that you were going to be on, do you think? Yeah, I think it was a path I was going to be on because I was so good at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, here's a keg, hey, Clemens can yell down that keg and still be standing straight. You yeah. know, that was the identity that I had. Um, and then once, you know, the bad things happened in my life, I used that as an excuse to justify, you know, yeah. the behavior. And then it continued on for probably lord yeah i got out i was 25 so probably another five years okay yeah so after i got out i I still used that as an excuse and then you know after a while people that are close to you going to say hey you know enough's enough good shoot out you know yeah um so it was really when i look myself in the mirror and go if you're using your mom as an excuse if she was standing right here she'd say stop it right like you do not use me as an excuse for uh, ruining your life so so that was 2008 ish you got out you said you went on for about another five years so did you get sober 2012 2013 ish yeah. yeah 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 and it was it was tough yeah <laughs> because, you know I always find excuse to drink and um I'm, I'm thankful that i did not experience or experiment with other types of drugs mm-hmm. um i'm very thankful in that because i saw you know um in my life, the roads that went down was not good. <laughs> no. No. So, um, 
So no, I'm, I'm very thankful where I'm at, and uh, it, it just amazed me that I'm not <laughs> locked up or dead, you know. Yeah. So when we're when you got sober, was there anything that you know pre preceded that like was there one event or was it a pile-up events did it have anything to do with kind of what you're tackling now with your your business around anger like i'm just wondering like what state you were in by that time right because i'm guessing that you probably started drinking you were probably right around my age so you're probably drinking you know early you know, you know, mid nineties, right. All the way up through the t- yeah. 2012 ish, 2013. <laughs> right. And so I had that similar oh, yeah. kind of timeline, right. So towards the end, you know, not only are you really good at drinking as you, as you put it, and many people would, right. Um, but yeah. you're probably, some of your relationships are probably a little tenuous. Your anger is probably quick. You know, I can kind of relate to where you were, um, but was it one thing or was it just an accumulation of things that made you say at some point, I have to stop? Oh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, uh, good Lord. <laughs> um, just a mountain of just, you know, just those bad times yeah. those good times those hey um life the party and then you're being told the next day hey no you're not you're a pain in the ass mm-hmm. um um but yeah because you know i'm still proud to say hey i, I was a damn good drinker but uh <laughs> The outcome was not that good. Yeah. Um, and I could put away a case of beer, no problem. But what happened after that? Not good. Yeah. Not good. Um, but just, it was just that constant, just being told, hey, you know, from friends, you know, few and far between, but. Friends say, hey, you know, I want to kind of check this, you know. Yeah. And um, finally, I just got to that point to where I was just, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a butt of a joke. I don't want to be the life of the party. Just, I just want to be there. Mm-hmm. And being sober is being there, you know. Right. <laughs> Did you, um, when you got, you know, when you found that day, were you like, I have to go to a inpatient, an outpatient, AA? How did you find your path? What was your path? I was, uh, I've been to a couple of AA meetings and, um, I, to me, it, 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 it really didn't fit mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was kind of just kind of a personal hey you know I'm done and like I said I'm, I'm lucky because I know that 
a lot of people need assistance with it. But sure. uh, for me, I was just like, you know, you know, I'm stubborn, <laughs> hard-headed. So when when I say I'm done, I'm done. And uh, that was my that was my back. And then I, you know, used that into uh, helping other people with their addictions and. Um, troubles and i think that probably had the biggest impact on me than anything because you know you know i'm i'm getting paid to help people but at the exact same time i'm helping myself sure yeah so so that's you know listen that's a huge pillar of you know, I think a lot of recovery is that service, right? You're of service to somebody else. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you were of service to so many people for your time in the military, right? And through that, though, you were you were drinking, like you said, it was like a different type of service, right? It was destructive service. And that's... It, I think what you said, something, right? It was destruction. And now you're totally flipped it. And it's like a new spin. It's 180 degrees different. You are helping people rebuild their lives, you know, with this service. And it's serving you so much better, I think, and how you're, you know, able to now navigate, you you know, your day to day. Um, How did you make that jump? Like, how did you... Because I, I see you have a bunch of different certifications. You're a drug and alcohol counselor. Like, how did you go from where you were to where you are now? Like, that's a big jump, right? Like, not everybody does that. Like, you know, a lot of people can just white knuckle recovery, but like, you white knuckled it and said, Oh, and I'm going to get trained on how to help all these people. So, what did that journey look like? Because that's super interesting to me that you went that, that route. Um, Dumb luck <laughs> is the only way I can uh, uh, say it. Dumb uh-huh. luck. Um, I was in college and I needed to intern, and one of my fr- professors, she was uh, working for the uh, sheriff's department, and she's adamant about, hey. Don't worry, you know, you internship will come through. And I was like, I need this to get my degree. So I'm like flipping out. And then it came through. And then I just randomly just got put into programs. And uh, like I said earlier, you know, I was sitting in some of these classes and I'm going yeah i've done that i've done that i've done that like why am i not wearing a jumpsuit (laughs) you know um and all these people were just you know um people who had you know obviously you know done bad bad things but nothing that i had not done in spades right and I just kind of 
saw that, I'm like, well, maybe I can, you know, maybe I'll stick around. Maybe I'll uh, try to share some things that I've gone through and uh, try to help out some people. And the next thing you know, it's, you know, it's 10 years later and, and here I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, just try my best to um, help people. And I've set across from murderers, rapists, you name it. And you would not know the difference between any of them. Right. They're, they're people that were caught and they certain circumstance and they chose to do things in a uh, bad manner and you know, mm-hmm. they ended up uh, behind bars but uh, but yeah it, it it was definitely a transition it was definitely a change that I I I thought I was going to catch the bad guys. You know, I was going to be FBI, I was going to be CIA, you know, all this. But when once I got in the middle of the people that were being caught, you know, I was like, hey, this guy's no different from me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it was just one choice he decided to make, and then, boom, here he is. And trust me. I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm lucky. Yeah, I mean, listen, so many of us are, right? And then there's so many that aren't. I, you know, being in the on the side now of being in recovery and helping people, you do see people who you're like, well, I was one decision away from, you know, being in jail or being homeless or, you know, being dead, right? Like, you know, and I think it's, you know, for me and, and probably for you and, and many others, again, that that service, right, and like helping somebody out of that is, is fulfilling and it helps me on my, you know, recovery path. And I'm sure it helps you, too. And, and, and also is now your livelihood, which I think is really quite good for, you know, for you and for the people that you help. Um, you have a lot of experience to give them, right? You've lived it. So they probably listen a little bit more, right? Yeah, and and that's the, I think, one of the (laughs) huge obstacles to overcome is, like, when you're starting a new group, the first question you're going to get out the gate is, like, what's your experience? Are you an addict? Are you this? Are you this? And my response to them is like, it's not about me. <laughs> I said, if it's an addict point of view or not an addict point of view, that's one thing. But would you not want to be taught by somebody who has never experienced that, who has never succumbed to the addiction. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's the rarity. That is the, you know, tip of the top. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, we have something to sort of share with others. And, you know, I've said it in the past. I started out in AA and I kind of wandered away from it. 
But, you know, that whole any kind of group setting is you're gaining knowledge from people who have, you know, either been in your shoes and gotten out of them or they're right there with you and you're kind of learning from each other in real time. And there's so much to be gained from that, right? So it's like that community thing, but you're getting, so you've like, you get all of it, right? You get the service, you get the accountability, you get the community, you get it all from like your day-to-day job. And I think that that's, you know, as good as you can get. So it, it kind of does make sense that you're not going to go to 12-step meetings on your off time, right? You're leading group meetings. So like, you know, you're kind of getting that to some extent during the day, like, um, which I think is great. Um, and so you, do you now do like the groups with the, like the sheriff's office and then have a whole separate thing that you're doing? Like, I want to understand the freedom from anger thing a little bit. So you have the drug and alcohol thing. You're doing that. You're helping people who are in prison or, you know, on the criminal in the criminal justice system, what led you to then this freedom from anger thing? Like, were you an angry person or is it just? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Very angry. Um, No, it really like, you know, COVID, COVID happened. Okay. And um, we were um, kind of, in place doing nothing and we saw this huge need for uh, people need classes and a lot of it was anger management and me and uh, my associate mr hines we're like we can do this way better than anybody's putting out there and we can do it virtual so well, all right, well, let's go. So we, we put it out there. We, we, we put it virtual, and we've helped people from Hawaii to Philadelphia to Ireland to Canada, and we've been able to have that interaction with people. And because, you know, when it comes to anger management, it was uh, – it was kind of like a thrown away, like, you know, like there's no money in that, you know, just, just whatever. But when you look at, uh, whether it be addiction or anything, like there's, uh, there's that line of anger that, that's always, that's always there. So, um, we, we try our best to, put it out there and make it affordable as possible, you know, um, you know, we'll, we're just out there to, to try to help. Yeah. People are angry. I mean, listen, it's, I live in a very angry area, right? Like New York, New Jersey area is people are just angry. <laughs> it's like you walk down the street in New York city and you're going to encounter on every block, you're going to counter like a dozen angry people. It's just the way it is. It's kind of baked into the culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you travel around, you see a lot of angry people, right? The people are honking their horns on the road. There's road rage. There's people angry on social media. Um, there's a lot of anger in the world. Uh, it's not many places I go where there's just like happy people hanging around. You know, it's very few places. Um so I think it's a service that 
a lot of people could use. But again, it's probably much like recovery. People have to have some self sort of evaluation and realize that they're angry, right? Before they come yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They do not like coming to, to us. I'm not angry, you know, and, and it just, from the jump, they're just, no, it's not about anger management. It's about emotion management. Yeah. That's what I like to get out there because you know, anger is a strong emotion. It's probably the primary emotion for a lot of people. But if we can kind of tone that down, then we can kind of work on things. And unfortunately, when people come to us, you know, it's they've done did what they did and it's bad. And uh, they're trying to uh, make the courts happy and whatnot, which is fine. Yeah. But, uh, but knowing like you said like you know like just walking around new york like people are on edge okay well then there's something that's causing that and you might want to kind of take a step back and kind of explore you know why i'm on edge all the time and that's what what we like to get down to is like okay well yeah being angry, being loud and whatnot, that's that's easy. Mm -hmm. But getting really down to you know, what's causing this, getting down to the causation of it is definitely um, uh, something that we really like to kind of boil down and try to um, try to figure out. Yeah, like what you just mentioned the court. So like a lot of people are coming to you through that sort of conduit right so like percentage wise is it mostly people who are being sort of court ordered to take a class like this or do you get the outliers who are like realizing that they have a problem because like i know a lot of angry people in my life and they all have no concept that they're angry and you know i have my thoughts of why they're angry but i don't think a single one of them realizes it <laughs> Oh, no, no, you're right. It's probably 99% court. Yeah. 1% um, actually trying to uh, uh, realize that they have an issue and they want to, you know, expand on that. But 99%, it's, I'm being forced to do this. Yeah. Some of the uh, most ang angry people I know are people who are like either scared, right? They're either very scared and that's sort of how they kind of release their fright. You know, it's like this, like sort of like, a, you know, they're going to make themselves bigger or people who sort of make mistakes and they don't know how to own up to them, right? Like those tend to be the two most angry people in my life. Like they have one of the other going on and... Um, but man, they're angry. <laughs> they just yell and it's crazy how angry people can get. So there's a calling. I just wish that there was a way to like, cause again, 99% is court ordered, right? If we could figure out a way to get people to 
Going like, <laughs> I hit my rock bottom of being angry. <laughs> like, I don't know what that would be. Having no friends left? I'm, I'm not sure, right? But like prior mm -hmm. to committing a crime, how do we get people to recognize they need your service? That's the trick probably, right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. It's, uh, I think what we provide is uh, invaluable to everybody. I mean, it's because um, we, in this day and age, we are kind of wound up kind of tight. We are kind of on edge. Um, you know, but you're you know, you're the same age as me, you know, you remember the time before the internet. Yeah, yeah. Things a lot simpler back then. They were. You know. Yeah. You know, if you had a beeper, you were cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> uh now everything's instant, everything's out there. Um and I've done podcast in it uh in in the past where was just the value of just unplugging, just remove yourself from the screens. I mean, even if just for five minutes, if it's just in the closet, you got to hide yourself, whatever. Just that time is so valuable because we're so just bombarded, just constantly with images and screens and all this just take that time to just kind of chill just kind of you know relax yeah even if it's just for five minutes is is it, huge it's huge it's hard to find right like but, we you know we don't you, do that yeah nobody has the time yeah. for that right everybody feels like they have to be connected immediately right no time for a delayed response in a text or an email or, you know, you can't let the phone ring through or, you know, you got to check to see if there's a like. And it's, it is a weird culture that we've created around, you know, a phone, which when we were growing up was stuck on a wall, <laughs> right? Like it's so like uh -huh. it's, it's really, yeah. we call it a phone, but it's something different than what a phone was. I, it's just the term that this like handheld computer got. Um, we were traveling recently and we were out on Vancouver Island out, you know, out in Canada and we rented a house in the middle of the island, but we drove completely west. And during that drive, there was no cell phone service for an hour. Like we just had no cell phone service. Nobody could look at their phone. You know, my kids were forced to actually just sit there. And I think it was such a huge difference in you know that hour and then even when we got to our destination there was no cell service so you know you had to in interact with nature for a while and it was nice you know it was forced um sort of downtime and even when we were at our home the internet was so bad that people weren't hardly using it so you know and i definitely felt calmer you know i i, I think it just slowed everything down slowed your head down and um your point maybe if people could do that a little bit more it's a good first step i don't know yeah i mean just today the power went out 
where we live. And it was just for a couple of hours. And you could feel the tension building. It's like, <laughs> there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no, because everything's attached to um, the power. And for me, I was kind of laughing, you mm -hmm. know, inside. Can't laugh outside because I'm <laughs> upset my wife. But uh, I was like, hey, you know, it's, shit happens you know yeah <laughs> i hear you and yeah but it just it just shows you how reliant we are on those type of things for our day-to-day -day comfort mm -hmm. yeah and it's the identity for a lot of people right without that online presence their identity is a little bit off too so you see them get squirrely you know, all of a sudden it's like kind of like a like an like a, somebody who's addicted to pills or like drugs. You know, yeah. if they don't have them for a while, they get a little shaky. Yeah. You could kind of see people get shaky, too, to your point. You don't want to laugh at that. You don't want to make jokes because they get very <laughs> upset. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember back in probably. Uh, it's probably eight years ago. So I was working part-time at Kroger, making minimum wage. Um, yeah, a minimum wage. And I would take people's phones and I would hide them. And then I would kind of sit back and just kind of see how they respond. And even back then, you know, like that was, you know, several years ago they would lose their minds oh yeah like i was like to me is like my cell phone's in my car you know whatever i ain't nobody to talk to uh but at that time it was just it was, it was so entertaining to me to kind of hide their phones and to see them kind of spiral because it, they just cannot function without their phone and you know that was you know, ten years ago, and then now I'm like it, it's I can only imagine. <laughs> oh yeah, the, they they would the fall down, right? People would fall down. It's it's actually a really bad addiction. I've talked about it on here before, and you know there's a some school of thought that kids who are growing up right now. Um, I grew up, my mom was an alcoholic, so I grew up in a, in a household with, you know, alcoholism around me and sort of addiction. And I've read an article that like kids today growing up are going to sort of see their parents like we saw, you know, alcoholic parents, right? Like there's going to be this level of like neglect that we just can't quite wrap our heads around right now. But, like, mm. the kids will feel it, you know, when they're 25, right? And and they're in therapy talking about, well, you know, my parents never looked at me because they were looking at Facebook or, you know, playing Candy Crush or whatever it was, right? Like, yeah. that is the new thing that's going to happen. And we just haven't fully lived through a cycle yet to get there. But that is coming. And... 
you know, I wonder if at that point they'll be blowback. Like it'll, you know, I wonder if it's just going to take that much time, right? Like we're seeing a change like with non-alcoholic beverages now and, you know, like a change in the culture around recovery. Like I wonder if that will happen. I probably not, probably just get worse, but because <laughs> technology is so fast. Oh yeah. It, it, it's so hard to keep up. Um, I think that, um, I think the last article I read was that the, we call them Gen X, Gen Z, Gen whatever, the younger generation is not apt to drink, not apt to do drugs. So they're actually cleaner than, you know, like us Gen X, mm-hmm. you know, hey, party on, you know, um, what you got. Um, but I think it is, I think it's going to spiral in a direction that we really won't know because you look at um, the, you know, everybody's like, Marijuana should be legal across all 50 states. Okay. I've heard that for years and years and years. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. Alcohol is legal. You make marijuana legal. And then what I tell my clients is like, it's not about legality. It's about use and misuse. Right. So I can... Like alcohol is legal. I can't show up to work drunk. Right. Same as I can't show up to work high. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, I tell them, I say, like, if you want to be broke in a state that it's legal, then go move there. Because why am I going to hire you when you can't pass a drug test and if things happen, then it's going to fall on to you. Um, I just, it, it just blows my mind how just that mentality of just like, weed should be legal. Like, fine, legalize it. Mm-hmm. Fine, please, please do. But what, what are you actually going to change? Nothing. Yeah, we, um, here in Jersey, they just legalized it, uh, I believe, for commercial. Um, it had kind of been around medical for a while, and I've had some people that I've coached in recovery that have, you know, said, hey, I got a prescription, so I'm going to use it. And, you know, I've kind of been like, yeah, I don't know how to deal with this, you know. And, and you know, I see the stores popping up here. Um, there's actually going to be one right down the street from my house at some point in the near future. And uh, just kind of where I live, we happen to fall between two grow facilities. I think I could see one from my backyard and the other one's (laughs) like two miles as the crow flies. Um, I live in the middle of the country, like the country. So like, but, but we had a lot of old farms and, you know, like there was just a couple facilities that really lent themselves to this. Um, My opinion is like, Listen, if you can use it and you use it responsibly, go for it, right? Uh, 
is when it's a problem. Like I, that's how I feel about mm-hmm. alcohol too. My wife drinks. She can drink responsibly. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I can't, right? So who am I to tell her not to do that, right? Like, so, you know, that's always been my thought process on that, you know? Um, Part of me is like, if you're going to get it from a store, it's probably safer. You know, if you can use it, go ahead, do it. You know, that's just been my, my thing. You know, as it comes into the community, will my opinion change? I don't know. You know, I... I'm going to just wait and see how it plays out. You know, I've been in Colorado where it's legal. I've been up in Maine where it's legal, Massachusetts. The one place I'll say that it's been a problem, New York City. Again, just like crazy. Every block I go on, people are just smoking in public. Like that's not my experience in Maine. That wasn't my experience in Colorado. You know, that's not my experience when I go visit Boston. But in New York City, for whatever reason, it's like every street I go down, there's somebody smoking pot like right in front of me. And I don't get it. You know, it's just so we'll wait and see how it goes around here. But, (laughs) you know, if you're going to misuse something, you'll misuse marijuana, you'll misuse alcohol, you'll misuse food, you'll misuse anything. Right. That's what people who are going to misuse stuff do. They figure out a way, you know, people will huff paint. Right. I mean, like. Uh-huh. just the reality of of people in that state of mind you know uh-huh. yeah and, and it's just the whole you know um, whether you're born with it or you acquire it it's the, that mentality that, that really gets us trapped and locked into addictive behaviors and um me personally, I'm all for uh, experimentation. Mm-hmm. I'm all for, hey, well, uh, psilocybin, will that cure addiction? Will that, you know, um, will it be a, um, CBD? You know, I mean, that there's all kinds of different avenues we can go down rather than getting on the uh, old... Uh, Peel Express away, which they're often too <laughs> right, too quick to to, to 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 do that. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I've uh, I had a guy on that has a CBD company, and he touts that it helped him recovery. You know, in recovery, and yeah. I've had a couple friends who have done the ayahuasca journeys. You know, and yeah. seeing the praises of the ayahuasca, you know, experience and. You know, um, I, I'm not at a point where I need that, so I probably would never do it. But, you know, it's an option, right? I mean, there's options out there, and we should be checking them out. Psilocybin, I think, is one that is super interesting, you know, in small doses. And, you know, I've heard even people, um, you know, have luck with, like, ketamine. So, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not, you know, I always kind of was a little bit, like shaky on that side but as Mm -hmm. i've progressed through this sort of journey of recovery and then a little bit more into the profession of it um my mind is just a little bit more open you know i'm not so hardline right and i think Mm -hmm. that that's good and probably the future of what we do 
I think is, is probably a little bit more open-minded than sort of that closed off view of like, this is what recovery is, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100% like, just, just stop. But my people, that's not an option for them. Right. Um, and it might be through, you know, like you said, whether it be at the, you know, psilocybin or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, I'm still not sold on, you know, uh, Suboxone. I'm still not sold on <laughs> all, all that stuff. Um, but it could be a gateway. It's not a lifestyle. Right. And, um, I've run across so many people that are in that, in that realm. I'm like, it's a crutch. Okay. It's a crutch. And then you need to, you know, shed loose of that crutch, but it's not a two year, three year, four year, uh, you know, yeah, you have to surround it with other modalities, yeah. right? It's like it's not there on, yeah. on its own. It's it's that plus some other things, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tend to agree on that. You don't want somebody again, sort of one for one. There, you know, it's it's safer, so it's definitely a harm reduction. But the ultimate goal should be to be sort of moving to some other direction there. Um, we have a suboxone. Yeah. We have a medical assisted treatment place right around the corner from my house too. You know, Matt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good old Matt. Yeah, so we have one right around the corner. Um, there was a lot, a lot of uh, sort of blowback in our community around it. You know, and uh, again, like I think if you're doing it right and you have a plan and you have some other modalities, I think it's a great thing. You know. And everybody's like, oh, all these people are going to be influxing into our community. And I was like, they're already here. Like, what are you mm-hmm. saying? Like, these aren't people that are coming in from like 60 miles away. These are people that live in your neighborhood that are already shooting up heroin, like at the quick check or, you know, at the convenience store or in your grocery store. Like mm-hmm. now they're just hopefully trying to find a better way. And to me that, you know, um, that was an interesting sort of time when that that place popped up uh, i will say that yeah and they should be you know with with the uh suboxone like they're supposed to offer counseling yeah. along with uh how much is that getting done i have no idea it's probably slim to none uh, it's probably just kind of handing out the uh the medication yeah but uh, I was uh, working with an individual uh, earlier this week, and I told him, I said, dude, I said, you, you, you done gone through detox, you done gone through this, you done gone through this, and then they wanting to put him on the Suboxone. I was like, dude, I was like, you, you already been down this road. It didn't work. I said, you done been through the hard part. Now it's about the mental game. Mm-hmm. I said, that's what it's about. So, um, and he definitely agreed because he, 
I think he said he overdosed like 30 times in his life. It's crazy. And I was like, like, here's a new start. Here's a new thing. Yeah, they're going to give you Suboxone. Okay, fine, whatever. But the mental game is where it's going to be at. Yeah. And you have to, you have to do that. Yeah. Well, you, um, you know, obviously you got a lot going on. You got your podcast and your business and you're working and I think it's all awesome. So, you know, for everybody listening, check out the Freedom From Anger uh, webpage. I'm going to post it in the show notes for you, James. And then, you know, the podcast as well. I'll make sure that there's a link. Um, before I end all these, I'd like to ask people a little bit about what they're listening to, you know, music-wise. Are you a music fan, movie fan, TV fan? You got anything that's really been interesting to you lately, or do you just shut down at night? What's your <laughs> what's your downtime like? Well, I'm I, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. Okay, that's kind of how I get home each each day. Um, but here recently. I'm actually a big fan of a audio book of an individual that actually got the interview, which is kind of cool. Uh, and it turns out it was a very interesting uh, book. Um, it, it's uh, Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer um, by John Petrelli. Um, so I'm in the middle of that, and I'm really... <laughs> Every, every every chance I get, I'm listening to it because uh, this guy's overcome a lot of obstacles and a lot of odds, and uh, you know he's he's doing quite well for himself. But uh, I cannot uh, speak more highly of of, of his book. Good. Than, uh, yeah, so you hit a book and like an audio thing all at once. So that's good. That's the first one that I got, and that's like an audio book. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and and the great thing about the audio book is that like there's like a podcast that goes on in between each chapter. Okay. So you actually get more from the book from the, actually the author. Uh, so he chimes in quite a so uh, I highly recommend Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer on Amazon, Audible, wherever you uh, listen to those things. Uh, but I'm definitely um, probably three quarters away through, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm hooked. <laughs> good, good. Well, I'll I'll make sure to link that as well in the notes, um, along with all your um, social media, your webpage, and we'll you know, hopefully get some people going your way. Maybe we'll get some people preemptively handling their anger issues out of this. Uh, you know, that's, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if, if it's just one, then Hey, you know, that's one uh, more, right. That's one more calm person in the world. I think that's good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, James, exactly. I want, I want to thank you for your time. Um, is there anything you want to leave us with? You know, any last thoughts? Uh, I'll just leave you with the last thought I had, the last podcast I was on. 
is that it's all a choice. Nobody can make you angry. It's how you choose to react slash respond that is the defining point. That's a good one. All your choice. It sure is with that and so many things. So that's a good one to end on. And um, again, thanks to James for being here tonight. If everybody could like, subscribe, review, wherever you're listening to podcasts, that helps us out. And we'll see you here next week with another episode. Thank you.